So our reading today comes from Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 4, 1. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is God's word. Please be seated. Church, would you would you pray me with me? Father, we do stand in this holy moment. And as a church, corporately, we say we want nothing else but Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who come in with anxious hearts. I pray for those who have experienced deep loss. I pray for those who, Lord, are trying to figure out this whole Christian life. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and take over. You are here. Scripture says where two or more are gathered, there you are in their presence. And Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words that come out of my mouth would be glorifying to you, my God, my rock, and my redeemer, that today would be edifying for the saints, convicting for those who need conviction, and and lifting up, at the end of the day, the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you guys like running? Anyone? Any runners? Track runners? Yeah? Man, more power to you guys. I hate running. Um, Amen, amen, right? Thank you. Um, Now, you may not think uh, just by looking at me, but I actually did run track at one point in my life in high school. Um, just one year. Uh, my, uh, in, in high school, I, I played football and baseball, and the, the, uh, the, the track coach had this brilliant idea that football players could be track runners. Yeah, I know. I laugh too, right? And I remember, I remember um, I, for some reason, I thought this was a brilliant idea too. I said, hey, I'll, I'll do it. 
And I remember the first practice, right? Yeah, first practice, we're warming up. I thought, you know, maybe a mile, you know, or, or just a couple laps around the track. And the first practice, the coach says, okay, we're going to start with a five-mile run. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? And I'm asking everybody, they're like, oh, yeah, five miles, five miles. I'm like, hey, no lie. Like, I stopped halfway through the five-mile run, probably at the two-mile marker, and I told everyone, and I lie, this is church, we can confess, I told everyone I had to fix my shoe, and I waited for everyone to get, like, a clear, like, distance away from me so I could just walk the rest of the way back. And I, I did make it, but no lie, I did walk about two to three miles the way back. And I remember my first race, and by that time I was getting some traction, I was kind of running the five-mile, but needing to walk still a little bit. And I remember... I, um, I, I was stretching, I was rocking, you know, those short shorts. I don't know why you got to wear them, but I, I guess they look good, right? Um, I was rocking those things and thinking, man, I, I, you know, I, I play sports, I can do this, I got, I got the kind of endurance it needs, right? No, 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 wrong, actually. Uh, the man shot the gun, and everyone took off, and now, mind you, I'm like 30 pounds heavier than most of the guys running already, so I'm already behind on that. But no lie, I, 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 I lost every single race. And I didn't just lose. I got in dead last every single race in high school. And I think as we're looking at Philippians and we're going through uh, the end here of chapter 3 in the New Testament, Paul uses this sort of running or competitive language to describe the Christian life. And I think a lot of times when we hear competitive language like chapter 3 or where he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And we hear that and we, we go to track, right? We go to our track meets. We go to the, the race against our friends um, in the backyard or in the schoolyard. And when you and I read these things, we think competition. But Paul isn't talking about competition or earning anything. When, when Scripture uses language like running a race, pressing on towards the prize, what Paul wants you and wants, he wants me to see is that the Christian life requires the same kind of passion and discipline as a runner who trains and runs the race. If you're not a Christian here this morning, maybe this is your first time in church, or this is your first time coming back in a while. We're not talking, I want you to understand, we're not talking about running or pressing on to earn your salvation. Jesus has earned it for us, and he has already run the race. Amen? If you're a Christian, I hope today, and here's kind of my prayer, is that you feel a sense of conviction. Now, conviction is not the same thing as condemnation. If you're a Jesus follower, you should know, you should, you should never feel condemnation, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but you should always feel some level of conviction, because conviction is what feels fuel that keeps us pressing into maturity in our relationship with Christ. Conviction is to increase. Condemnation is to decrease. And here's the big idea. Here's where we're going, and here's kind of my prayer for us. We're going to talk about pressing on into, into real maturity means becoming more dependent on Christ, not less. 
There's kind of three points I want to bring out of Scripture today and kind of talk about three ways that I believe Paul is saying, press on, finish well, run the race. This is how you do it. Number, uh, so uh, verses 12 through 13, we're not turning back. 14 through 16, we want to fix our eyes towards the goal, uh, which we'll get into in a minute. And then lastly, stay the course, and then we'll wrap up uh, looking towards towards. God. Now let me catch you up a little bit. In Philippians, Paul, in real time, is addressing a church in Philippi, and he's addressing a church um, about the false teaching that has been coming into the church that you and I, or that the church at that time, could reach some level of perfection in the Christian life. And so Paul's addressing this, this thought, he's teaching against this thought in the, in the letter of Philippians. And they were teaching in the church, it's Jesus plus doing something that gains or earns your salvation. I feel like that sounds really familiar at times in, in my own life. Right? But the law says, do more. But the gospel says, just be. The gospel says, be. In Colossians, Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. In other words, be who we are in Christ Jesus. But the Colossians were trying to move on to something else. And Paul effectively says, there is nothing else. The song, right? Kind of cool. I, I didn't even think about that, but that's cool. I knew we were playing that song. But there you go. There is nothing else. Just as you receive Jesus... Desperately and in faith, walk in him that same way. Church, listen, we get saved, redeemed. The gr grace opens our heart by the gospel, but you and I never graduate from the gospel. Amen? Amen? We need the gospel as much as we did the very first day that Jesus opened our hearts as we do on the very last day on our deathbed. We never graduate from the gospel. And Philippians are faced with this threat of false teaching promoting this sort of maturity that, oh, follow Jesus, but here's this list of things that you and I need to do in order to get this thing right, in order to grow in maturity, in order for us to gain more of Jesus or gain more of our salvation. And it wasn't a list of spiritual disciplines they were adding on. It was we need Jesus plus go to church. Be a part of a community group. Listen to Christian music only. Don't drink this or don't eat that. To become all that you're meant to be in Christ. The mistake that so many of us make or begin thinking that in this life, in this, in this race that the scripture calls the Christian life, we were in this race to, to the perfect life. But what Paul wants us to get is we are in a race to finish well. And what we're going to read and, and what Paul is saying is, is we finish well by both forgetting and running. By both forgetting and running. The ESV says uh, straining, right, um, in our scripture. Uh, but there are others that say running to what lies ahead. So let's read the first couple verses here um, in the second part of chapter 3, verse 12. It says, not that I have obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, or other translations, running towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're forgetting and we're running, and Paul is describing, it's not like my track meet. I knew when I started I was losing. I just showed up because I committed myself to running. But it's not like that. When you and I begin the race, we're not running to earn something or to win something. Jesus has already won for us. So we're running towards what is already ours, the victory that is already ours in Christ Jesus. Forgetting those things otherwise, and what Paul is saying is forget those things that otherwise would hinder you from running faster and with more passion. And press on to finish well. We aren't trying or reaching to achieve. We are reaching for what is already ours in Christ. I love what one commentator says about Paul. Uh, It should come up here by Peter O'Brien. He says, he will not allow either the achievements of the past or, for that matter, his failures as a Christian to prevent his gaze from being fixed firmly on the finish line. I love this. In this sense, he forgets as he runs. He forgets as he runs. The more you run to Christ, the more you forget the losses and mistakes of the past. Modern wisdom would tell us to focus on the past, often putting so much value on it. We, we, you know, and, and there is some value in talking about our stories and digging into our childhood story and those different things. But often, especially today, we put so much value in that. And sure, your past is going to affect your life for the good or for the bad. But if you make too much of it, the soundtrack of your life becomes your past mistakes. Paul killed Christians before Jesus saved him on the road to Damascus where he was headed to kill even more Christians. Are you telling me that that didn't affect Paul? Of course it affected him. He even would tell you, I'm the least of the apostles. It did affect him very much. But in verse 12, Paul, like us, is still pressing forward. If we set our minds on these sort of temporary labels that you and I, from, from our past, and never understand our present future Hope in our present position in Christ, Paul's, Paul's temporary label was what? He was an ex-murderer, a Pharisee, a religious person, right? But there's a difference. Paul knew his present position in Christ it means he is redeemed, forgiven, and given a new name, right? It was Saul, and then it was Paul. And the truth is, it's very easy for you and me to be paralyzed by the life that we used to live or the things that we've done in the past and used to do or even the things we did last week. And the idea is not forgetting what you've done. Let's be honest. We're not going to forget the things of our past, the abuse we experienced, the things we have done, the porn that we looked at, the the things that we said to that person, the relationships that we broke. We're not going to forget those things. But two two reasons for us not to turn back and to keep running or straining forward. Number one, forgiveness means refusing to let you pay for what you did, which fights against your victim mentality. Preachers, see this happened and then this happened and this abuse happened and I broke this relationship and all this stuff. 
that I've experienced, how in the world could God fix me? Because I feel, I feel so broken. And this will paralyze you and will always keep you from a lifetime of maturing in Christ. The key is that forgiveness leads to resurrection. And kills our bitterness of the past. Number two, the answer isn't new things to remember. The answer is a person. Paul isn't saying just find new things to remember, focus on those, and then go forward. It's less about finding new things to remember and more about pressing towards a desire to be and, and have more and more and more of Jesus. If you're, you're not going to actually forget your past, there are things that you and I have done that have marked us and we're, they're in our brains and it's just going to happen. But the key is this. The answer is that new things to remember. The answer is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what maturity looks like. And hear this. If you're not mature today, oh, feel encouraged because the Spirit of God is with you. This is not meant to burden you if you're young in the faith. Trust in the Holy Spirit to show you. See, the key to the Christian life, Paul says, is one thing, a greater knowledge and greater dependence on Jesus. I heard one old pastor say, or he asked this question in a similar sermon like this one, uh, what's one change you could make in order to pursue the things that matter most in your, for you? In other words, what's one change that you can make in order to pursue God in more dependence towards him? It could be just waking up a little bit earlier in the morning, spending time with the Lord, praying maybe even more than you already do. What's one thing that you can change? Because one change in one area can actually affect your entire life. And the reality is, there's no, we're not going to grow in knowledge without learning. What's one change that you can make? The next section Paul's going through in verses 14 and 16, we're going to look at fixing our eyes towards the goal. And if you would... Uh, Read with me, uh, 14 and 16. He says this, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, let those of you who are mature think this way. And in anything, think otherwise, that God would reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul wants them to know that he's with them on the journey. This is the mark of true and real Christian leadership, amen? The, the mark is that leadership is not lordship. It's a, not about being superior. It's about following Jesus. And Paul says, I'm still in the process. I'm still pressing on. I'm still going that, that direction. And he's bringing others along with him in the journey. And where maturity begins is when we humbly realize that we still need to grow in Christ-likeness. And Paul knew that. And there would be some evidence that the Holy Spirit is working out these things in your life. And there, there should be a slide that comes up to kind of give you an idea of what these look like. Uh, your view of others will change. 
You'll grow less smug and less critical of others because you believe you still need to grow as well. Uh, You'll use your words differently. Instead of cutting people down on social media or in conversation, you're building people up. You're using your platforms on social media. You're using your conversations to build people up. You will be less self-righteous, and you'll be quicker to identify the evidences of grace in the lives of others. And your love for the Savior will grow because you realize how much you need his grace. A sign of maturity is when you and I have the humility to acknowledge that we have not arrived yet. I think we can all relate to Paul's idea of not being perfect yet. But don't let the process of theological word warning, sanctification, which is the process of God's spirit maturing and forming you more into the more and more in the image of Christ. Don't let the process discourage you halfway through the race. Because it's a process. And Paul makes it clear that he's on that same race. He's on the same process. But let me just take a step back. And I feel like I have to say this. But I think we've made Paul into some sort of superhero in our minds, haven't we? Where we can only learn theology from and big concepts from and ideas of the Christian life, but not real life. And let this be encouraging that Paul the apostle, Paul the church planner, Paul the leader, Paul the, le- the, the writer of, of scripture and most of the New Testament is in the same process as you and I are. Read, uh, read verse 17 with me. He says this, brothers, join in imitating me. This, I'm in the process. I'm here with you. Let's join together and let's go forward to the upward call of Christ of Christ Jesus, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Maturity is a group project, everybody. We need people in our lives like Paul who challenge us to, with hard questions, who challenge us with difficult decisions, who are not afraid to say, man, I, I think you might be going this direction what about this other direction? How would, how would this glorify God um, in this decision? Are you fixing your eyes on trying to atone for your past, or are you fixing your eyes on the finished work of Jesus at the cross? We need people in our lives who are willing to say those things. Listen, when you and I fix our eyes towards the finished work of Christ at the cross, we never lose awe of the gospel. And I say that because awe shapes everything you and I say, do, and decide. So I'm not turning back. I'm running towards God and his call in my life. I'm not here to race, to, to, to win the race of the person next to me. I'm here for mine. And we need others in our lives to, do, to sometimes push us in that direction when we fall off course. We need others in our lives to encourage us to stay in awe of the events that took place over 2,000 years ago. So, so far, so far we've gone through, we're, there's, there's no turning back, right? We are, we're fixing our eyes towards the goal, right? And now we need to stay the course. 
Verse 17 again with me. Would you, would you read with me? He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those walking according to the example that you have in us. Verse 18, For many of us whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. See, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and for the, or from it we wait for the Savior, our Lord Christ Jesus. I don't think he's describing people that are downright against Christianity, but of course this can, this can mean those people as well. But what he's describing is people who aren't living in the way of Jesus. Their lives reflect not their creator, but their own desires. You don't want the Christ, they don't want the cross to be their life's description. They don't want death before life. See, we look at sin if it's something just gone wrong or something gone bad, rather than something that actually makes us dead. Sin doesn't make us bad, it makes us dead, and it separates us from God. And an enemy of the cross wants nothing to do with acknowledging their brokenness by sin and desperate need for a savior. It's the people that are, are living according to their own desires and eventually it looks appealing, it looks attractive, it makes for a good picture on Instagram, but then it turns into alcoholism. Then you have obesity. Then you have another broken relationship. Their God is their desires. Their glory is their shame. This is the college student that graduates from high school and still goes to the high school parties. And all the high schoolers are like, dude, what is this guy still doing here? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is great. He, what is he doing? He's, he's not embarrassed about the things that he should be. He's proud of the things he should be embarrassed about. These are the people that trust in emotional reasoning, not gospel reasoning. I feel, therefore I act feel like I should, and therefore I do. But the life that lives by the cross in the way of Jesus is, I love it, I have to leave something in order to gain something. I have to leave the, the, the attractive things of the world. I have to leave those beautiful things behind in order to gain more of Christ. Scripture is calling you and me to something higher, to something bigger, but it first begins with walking in the pathway that God is calling us in the pathway of the cross. Look at verse 20 again. It says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The church that Paul is writing to is in northern Greece. Uh, Philippi became a part of the Roman Empire. They weren't originally a part of it. They got taken over and it, they were a part of the Roman Empire. And so they became very hyper-patriotic, right? Kind of like we're, we're, you know, the, the place that we live in today. Because they were Roman citizens in that city trying to embrace their new identity, trying to embrace this new sort of Roman citizenship. And as the church, they were not trying to recreate the culture with Roman culture. They were trying to recreate the culture by the values of heaven. And so when Paul talks about you are citizens of heaven, he is saying your primary citizenship is not in Arizona. It's not in America. Yes, be proud 
proud of those things. Yes, love those things. But first and foremost, your true country is in heaven. And so when we say, church, that we value social justice and racial equality, we, we don't express that value like the rest of our city expresses that value. We work to press on, to run our race as citizens of heaven, bringing the kingdom values down into how we treat social justice and racial equality. Amen? It's so easy for us to fight the injustices of the world, and yes, we should. We're called to. But we would never tell anybody this, but it makes us feel good, and it makes us feel like we're earning something more than what Christ has already given us. Church, we do it in the name of Jesus for the sake of the kingdom. And what our culture needs is a church that doesn't look like everything else they see. They need people living by the cross. People in awe of the cross. People staying the course, running their own race. People who live as citizens of heaven. As a citizen, I'm pressing on towards the goal of the upward call of Christ. With, not without confidence, but with full confidence. Because who's run the race already for me? Jesus. And the more that I look forward to my permanent hope in heaven, the more my temporary circumstances, labels, the past, those things that typically would define me, I believe for myself that they are going to stay behind me and I'm going to press forward to the call. And listen, I know what it's like to have a 10-year plan in place and get that completely destroyed in less than a year. I know what it's like to feel the anxiety of living in the busy modern world today. I know what it feels like for my past failures that, that should probably define who I am and the struggle between and the tension between what the gospel says I am and what my sin says I am. I get the tension. I get the struggle. And in this room today as a church, there are so many here. Your past has a loud voice and is singing a loud song. And you got a lot of bad. And there are a lot of things in your past that you wish never happened. And that you're, you're, you're looking, as you're looking towards Christ, and it feels like these promises are not attainable. They're not real. Or maybe they are, but they feel so distant from me. I get it. I've been there. There are some of us today where our labels have defined how we view ourselves and God for years and for decades. And let's say for some, a lifetime. I'm a failed parent, I'm a failed employee, I'm a failed manager, failed son or daughter. And I'm telling you that your confidence is only as strong as what you keep in front of you. So I'm not looking back at the things that used to define me. Paul says, keep looking forward. And simply be. Be what? Be a citizen of heaven. Be a redeemed and blood-bought adopted son or daughter of Christ. Be made new. Be more dependent. And as we lay, Hebrews 12 says, as we lay aside every hindrance of, and the sin that is so easily ensnares us, the writer of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith.
Because here's the hope. Verse, uh, verse 21 in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says this. Who will transform, talking about Jesus, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then in chapter 4, we'll read just the first verse. He says, therefore, my brothers, and we can include sisters, right? My brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. All right, preacher, I'm in. I want to run the race well. But I got to be honest with you. I'm in a truckload of debt. I'm divorced. I'm addicted. I'm messed up again. I messed up again. How can I possibly run the race well? How can I press on, run the race towards the goal of the upward call of Christ uh, in Christ Jesus because the past seems to be singing a louder chorus in my life than, than the gospel does? What's God's will for all of that? I think what Paul is saying is fix your gaze on him. Keep your eyes on him. You want to know how you stand firm in the Lord? Keep your eyes on him. Listen, if I were to ask you to just keep your eyes on me, if you've fallen asleep, maybe wake up. If I were to ask you to keep your eyes on me this whole time, I can take you anywhere I go, right? I'm taking you left, I'm taking you right. God is saying to us, church, today, keep your gaze towards me, and I will take you where I want you to go. Never take your eyes off him, because real maturity means becoming more dependent on Christ, not less. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your grace in all of this. Thank you for your word that is true and authoritative to our lives. Thank you for your mercy towards us. God, I pray for those who are encouraged by this message, but maybe their sin is still singing a louder chorus in their heads and their minds. Lord, I pray that you would uh, show them the power of the gospel, the power of your love for them, and the transformation of Uh, that can come into their lives. Lord, I pray for a church as a whole that we would be citizens of heaven running towards the goal of the upward call of Christ in Christ Jesus. Help us not to turn back to the things that would hinder us in our race, Lord. But as we pursue maturity, help us to keep our eyes on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.